Hey everyone, Michael Antonovich with Swap Moto Live, bringing you this midweek podcast presented by Yoshimira. Joining me for this one is our friend Sean Brennan, who is the senior PR director for Feld Motorsports. Sean, thanks for being the first guy to come into the new Swap Moto studio. Uh, I'm excited for you to be here because we've been talking about this forever and much better than a Zoom call right now. So thanks for coming by while you're here before Anaheim too. Oh my goodness, you are welcome. This is amazing. And yes, we've been talking about this for mm-hmm. a very long time. Uh, little did we know that it would be the inaugural Let's Break In the New Building right. uh, podcast. So no, thank you. Uh, very excited to be here at Swap Moto Live for uh, the inaugural the inaugural run. How is, uh, how is this week going to be for you? You know, after Anaheim 1, you flew back home. This will be your SoCal Media Week. Uh, a lot going on, but you've been out here for quite a while. In October, you guys had uh, media training with all the riders. There was all the team intros. So you're back and forth quite a bit. Uh, how is it for a guy that's based in Tampa so much of the year to come to California and see the moto scene here? I love it. Uh, you know, you really forget how big and expansive California <laughs> is. You know, when you're in Tampa and other parts of the world, uh, you think that Anaheim, Los Angeles, Marietta, Temecula, like it's all right there. Yeah, yeah. And it's not. It is very expansive. Uh, but I love coming here. Uh, the industry obviously is, is centered here, uh, and always has been. Um, but when we get started on the Supercross tour, as you know, uh, you do all the travel as well. Mm -hmm. It is a grind. Uh, it is certainly glamorous and can certainly be sexy at times. Uh, but the work and the travel, the travel is really what is what gets you. Yeah. And so the first month of the year, traditionally, we are all flying back, back and forth. Uh, in my role, I'm usually first in and last out in a lot of respects outside of our operations crew uh, and the Dirtworks crew that really, they never stop. They do not go home. Uh, our event manager, Bill Harris, will not see his girlfriend or his dog for about eight weeks in. Well, until we get to Tampa okay. is the first he'll, he'll be able to pet his dog and say hello to his girlfriend. But then, you know, once we start heading East, then it's everybody based in California that mm-hmm. then has all the travel to deal with. Um, but it is so worth it. Uh, we're so excited to have another season. And I mean, to, to be able to do what we do for a living is pretty special. So, you know, uh, the tra- the travel, you don't let it get you down. Uh, but you can always tell non-professional travelers at the airport. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. They're always the ones that are screaming. Up, the up. one liter of shampoo that they're trying to get through in the carry-on. Yeah, yeah. Right. Why can't I take this? Yes. And then there's 25 people deep, and you're just like, oh, my God, I'm going to miss this place. Yes. Because, yeah, you probably know, like, that 6 a.m. flight sounds great until you've been up till 3 in the morning. And yes. then you wake back up at 4.30 and it like hurts to open your eyes or stand in the shower and just be like, what am I doing right now? But Absolutely yeah. hurts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I try to avoid. Well, <clears throat> when I leave Tampa, a 6 a.m. flight, totally fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, 7 a.m., even better. Uh, but I stop doing that on the way home. Uh, typically 1.30, 2 a.m. is typically when I'm leaving the stadium. And to go directly to the airport, I'm not going to do that. 
Uh, I'd much rather end the day, mm-hmm. get some rest, and then start fresh and deal with whatever comes traveling home. Yeah, I understand that. Like, uh, it's that Russian roulette of like, am I going to make it? Is the rental car shuttle going to show up? Did I get gas in it the night before? Like, all those things that you might be a professional at it after you've done it forever, but then one missed alarm and you're screwed. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I'm sure you said probably four or five. Oh, yeah, like 15. <laughs> I'm a deep sleeper. So, like, once Are I'm you? out, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> um, you and I have been together for, like you said, before we got started, eight years. I remember the first time that you and I really got to know each other. You had been part of the Feld family for a while through their other property, Monster Jam. And then yep. you come into Supercross, which is big in a lot of respects, this massive, important thing to Feld, but different than the Monster Jam was. So how was it for you to get assigned to this, and what did you think as you took on that role? Yeah, you know, I was already in Florida uh, when Feld Motorsports was moving from Aurora to Tampa, Uh, At that time, the facility, Feld Entertainment Studios, which uh, the Felds had purchased, it's a 700,000 square foot building where we can uh, build up to 35 Monster Jam trucks at any given time and have a complete uh, Monster Jam facility on one side, but then we can also rehearse two arena-size full shows in our facility. So at any given time, Jurassic World Live, Disney on Ice, uh, Marvel Universe Live, you know, we build these shows from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And we are now doing that in our own facility. So when the Feld family made that investment into this space, uh, I think it's the second largest building in uh, the state of Florida outside of Cape Canaveral. So it's a huge facility. Uh, and you know, it took a couple years to really, uh, make the modifications to, you know, the way that the Felds wanted to use it. And so at that point, after they made that investment, they really wanted to have all of the employees under one roof. As you know, you, you get more, you cannot, um, being in person. Mm -hmm. So you now being remote. And oh, being, I know. And being yeah, yeah. at home. But when you are able to come out here and collaborate with Don and Chase and the team here, you cannot mimic that energy. Yeah. So <clears throat> the Feld family had that forethought as well and really thought, and rightly so, that having everybody from finance to accounting to creative to marketing to ticket sales to event operations all being in one under one roof and being able to collaborate would really, you know, create a lot of efficiencies in the business. And they're 100% correct. Um, So they were going through making that change of asking employees. They gave a lot of people uh, that were working remotely two years to to make that change to, uh, to Florida. So, you know, when you have families and you are, you know, really ingrained, you know, with wherever you are, not everybody can make those moves. So not everybody did. So that is what created the opportunity first and foremost in Tampa. Uh, I was already living in Tampa and I saw the opportunity and I grew up with two passions, like a lot of people, dirt bikes and music. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'd already worked, uh, professionally in the music business for, for a very long time. Uh, and my previous job led me to Tampa uh, so I was there a number of years, and as a lot of companies change, 
um, they wanted to uh, have everybody, the company I was working before, before Feld, were doing a very similar thing, and they wanted everybody to go to New York City. Okay. So I had already done the New York thing what year did you do uh, early in my career. Okay. Yeah, way early. Right out of college, I went to New York. That had to have been like wild time, even for New York. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. And I'm so glad that I did it. Um, but to do it again later on. To do it again later on yeah, yeah. after having a family, uh, just it's a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. So I decided not to pursue going to New York City. And at the same time, uh, what happens a lot in life, uh, you know, right place, right time. And, um, you know, Feld Motorsports was right down the road and everybody was moving there. And uh, so I saw the opportunity and, you know, everything, everything worked out. The Monster Jam thing, when you came from that, I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I think even in those first like two years, I was talking to you a lot about it. Because like, as any kid in the Midwest, I grew up watching that stuff. Um, and then to see how big it is, really from the early 2000s when that push happened and Monster Jam had the toys and it had bigger tours and multiple things going on to see the scope of that. And it sells out stadiums everywhere it goes. How is it for you to be in that position and to see this just massive thing that little kids really sink into, but then adults are into, and it has this massive culture behind it. Like there's YouTube channels for it. Just the same way we have the Supercross yes. coverage. There are Monster Jam people that cover just like that media. Yes. Monster Jam is an amazing brand and an amazing property. And when I joined Feld Motorsports, I was in a dual role uh, with Monster Jam and with Supercross. And <clears throat> I loved my time on <laughs> Monster Jam and was able to do some really, really neat things. Um, one, David Lee Roth. He ends up getting very interested in different things throughout his life. Mm -hmm. And at one particular point, man, back in 2016, he was all about learning about Monster Jam. Okay. So <laughs> David Lee Roth, we're in California, wants to come out, meet the drivers, get underneath the hoods, learn how to drive them, the whole thing. So spending two days with Diamond Dave, <clears throat> where... I am actually, you know, the California Girls video, mm -hmm. so iconic. And in that video, David Lee Roth, you know, is is the tour, he plays the tour guide, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, I was the tour guide for David Lee Roth for two days and riding him all around the parking lot at Angel Stadium and introducing him to our drivers, showing him the trucks. And it was so amazing hearing him talk about stories from 73, 74, when the band was still not signed yet mm -hmm. and flying cars, you know, during the Aerosmith concert cool. at Angel Stadium. I mean, just the stories were incredible. Um, so I got to do a lot of really cool things with Monster Jam. Uh, but my goodness, to your point, it, it is... It is a monster. Mm -hmm. uh, we have upwards of 10 different tours out at any given time. Uh, like I said, we had, you know, we can build 35 trucks from the ground up. At one point, we were up to 75 uh, Feld-owned trucks. Mm -hmm. When you put that into perspective of any other racing fleet, Think about NASCAR, IndyCar, and these huge teams that race in those. F1, 
nobody owns that many vehicles as part of a fleet. Mm -hmm. It is impressive. You combine that with the toy lines. I believe we have over 200 licensed products that scan, you know, span everything from, you know, games. You know, we have a great relationship with Spin Master Toys. Uh, it is really incredible. You walk into Walmart, you walk into Target, they're everywhere. Um, but then the stadiums, it, it is a sold out show. And, you know, here in Anaheim, uh, between Supercross and, and Monster Jam in Anaheim, well, you know, that'll be five and six events, mm -hmm. you know, across the board. Um, from a country standpoint, I think pre-pandemic, we had, we were visiting, uh, upwards of 28 to 30 different countries around wow. the world. Um, you know, and you think about that, uh, and I think it was pre-pandemic 2020 South, it was either pre-pandemic 2020 or post-pandemic South Africa, mm -hmm. the largest show in South Africa at the stadium we were at was a Monster Jam event. That's wild. So, you know, you, you, you can't put that in perspective everywhere. And there are things happening with Monster Jam in different parts of the world that you can't really articulate mm -hmm. uh, here in America, you know, illustrating how big that brand is. But, yeah, we're very fortunate that the fans love it. And it goes from little kids all the way up to to grandparents. And it is a, a, a type of show uh, and a type of event. And I use show loosely because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the freestyle and the stadium events, you know, and the freestyle portion of Monster Jam, you're not going to tell any one of them drivers that they're not out there putting everything on yeah. the line because they are. Um but it is an event, a family event that you can take, you know, the grandkids all the way up to, you know, grandma and grandpa uh, as a family event, which is really, really special. So we won't turn this into the whole Monster Jam podcast, but I will tell you two things about that. At Christmas, I walked into a toy store and they had a Monster Jam car wash where like you drive the car through, wash it, all that, yep. and just all the toys, the arenas that you could build. And I'm like wow, I really wish I was like eight years old right now so I could play with all this stuff. Yep. But then over the weekend, they had the shows in St. Louis and my best friend took his two little boys and he was texting me yesterday and he's like, you know, one of the drivers drove by and waved to my kid and my kid just won't stop talking about it because he thinks that the driver waved directly at him. And he just thinks it's the coolest <laughs> thing ever. And I'm like, well, A, that's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. And I'm like so psyched on that. But like, I've seen it so many times how guys just connect to it and everyone loves it and the level that they've taken it to in these last 10 years. Yes. You know, it's, it's far away from the car crushing thing now and it's just this complete driver skill of how they're able to push these trucks and how well they're built. Well, the way that these stunts have changed and how quickly they have progressed in just the last five years, to your point, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, uh, the very first thing it was all about crunching, you know, yeah, they never got air cars. Yeah. But now with, you know, the front wheelies, uh, the double back flip, the front flip, they have taken the, the innovation with these stunts and the skill level of these drivers that are driving these machines and think about it. They are, you know, they have custom made seats that mm -hmm. are built to their bodies. You know, everything is obviously, you know, uh, with the, you know, the five connect Haas, uh, uh, strapped in 
and they can only see this far. So there is no, you know, movement. They have such limited view and to be able to coordinate that truck that is, you know, 1500 horsepower, 12,000 pounds mm -hmm. and very limited visibility. It is really special what those drivers do. So in the roles that you've had, I think what it really comes down to in the biggest way is uh, how you convey this message of what Monster Jam is and now what Supercross is and all the intricacies of it to the media that, you know, we know it, our followers know it. But the biggest one is when you're trying to catch that local media. And that's a big part of your job. That's why you have guys like Alex Ray and Cade Clayson go and do those morning TV spots. And like, yep. when I was a little kid, when Ken Earhart would be on Show Me St. Louis, I was like, I'm watching. I don't care if yep. it's only going to be for 45 seconds. I want to see it. And you see that element of, hey, we have to connect with the local market in a completely different way than we do the core crowd. How is that for you to balance that? And then what do these local newscasters think of the sport when we bring it into them? With Supercross in particular. We're yeah. now back to Supercross, Yeah, right? back to Supercross. Now. Monster Jam, we're done. Well, maybe if we get enough money, we'll do a Monster Jam podcast another day, but this is Supercross for now. Yeah, you know, our local media efforts, uh, you know, I like to say that we're always in some form or fashion of either strategizing, planning, or executing either local media, um, national media, endemic media, which, you know, of course, is you and mm -hmm. the Racer X's and, you know, um, motocross action that really follow the sport and are our beat writers, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but then international as well. Uh, we have a large contingency of, of um, international media that we uh, execute. So it, it never stops. It never stops. But the local media efforts... Um, you know, we do, you know, with Supercross now, well, with Supermotocross being 31 events, but if we just look at Supercross, uh, 17 races, we don't have any home races. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though we have been racing, you know, San Diego right down the road for, you know, since 1980, uh, in some places since 1974, you know, a 50-year history, um, several things change. Once... We're, we're only here in San Diego once a year. We're only in Dallas once a year. And media changes. Uh, over the course of the last 25 years, the motorsports writer and or sportscaster, they're gone. Yeah. They are gone. I think that the Las Vegas Review Journal still has a, you know, someone with that title. Uh, even... Motorsports towns like the like Indianapolis, the Indianapolis Star actually shares somebody on football. Mm -hmm. They even in a city like that do not have anybody specifically assigned to motorsports. So the challenge we have, even though we have been racing in a lot of these markets for a very very long time, and we have a lot of really great relationships with the local media is that people move on. Mm -hmm. So you might have somebody that, uh, the loves the sport and reported on it last year, but are now in Boise, Idaho yeah, yeah. doing something completely different or they, you know, got to the end of their career and they retired. So there's always an educational component in the local market uh, that we are dealing with every year, which is very, very challenging. Um, but, 
you know, there's different types of local media as well that we reach out to. There's your, your general news and, you know, pop, pop culture, you know, type stories and things like that. And then, of course, you know, the real meat and potatoes, sports, sports broadcasting. And we appeal to all of them. Mm-hmm. We strategize for all of them. We adapt to all of them. Uh, but it is a challenge because, again, we have no home races and media. And I don't need to t- tell you how the media landscape, even you know, through the pr- pandemic, has changed so drastically. Yeah. Uh, it is, it's a new world out there. Um, and it, it poses a lot of challenges in those respects. Yeah. Even just in the last two years, I can think of just how much it's changed. Uh, when we're at the races right now, every rider's got a, vl- a filmer, every rider's got a vlog. And it's great because they're able to tell their message and get their story out there in that same way. But it's something where we're like, oh man, if I don't do it right now, they're going to get it out there or I have to be on top of everything. Yes. It's not as easy as just calling one team representative now and finding everything out. Everybody's their own PR guy now. Everybody is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the athletes that do it well and do it consistent, that is a great thing. Mm -hmm. And you'll even see in all of sports now that, you know, most of them are embedding, you know, whether it's an athlete tweet or Instagram, you know, that is now become part of the story where you're taking it, you know, rather than verifying something with the, yeah. the PR rep, you, you have are, you're their going word. right to their Instagram yep. and you're embedding that right into the story. So it is an ever-changing landscape. Uh, but to your point, you know, it really makes, um, you know, folks in your position, you've got to work harder. Mm-hmm. You've got to work quicker. You've got to be more efficient. Um because yes, the the athletes have a microphone now that they can turn on any time they want. Mm-hmm. So when you bring a new non-endemic media person in, like even if it's someone from the USA Today or you know Jeff Gluck, Jeff Gluck from the Athletic come a couple times to his first Supercross races, what are their initial thoughts when they see the scope of what you guys do? A lot of them, you know, come to the same football or the baseball stadiums. And it's completely different than it's ever been. The first time my wife saw Angel Stadium covered in dirt and not grass, she's like, this is what you guys do. That's insane. What do these people think when they see their hollowed ground get taken over? They absolutely love it. They love it. And, you know, we, we again, from a strategy standpoint, there are races throughout the year that are specifically designed to bring media in so that they can experience it for the very first time. Okay. Uh, once we get them to an event and they're able to spend the day with us and we can educate them on the sport and introduce them to our athletes and some of the teams and the team managers. And in a lot of respects, you Mm -hmm. guys that know the sport so intricately, they, they all leave there, uh, as fans for sure. Um, you know, the trick is again, with, Motorsports writers and that position, if you will, having its challenges and media not having the resources to commit to it. You know, uh, an individual like Jeff Gluck, he, just like you, traveled to every Supercross race, pro motocross race, and now mm-hmm. all the way through, you've got 31 events. Yeah. For these motorsports writers that cover NASCAR, you know, that is a 36, yeah. 38 race schedule mm-hmm. with, a couple high special, 30s. with a couple special events and then three series that you pretty much need to pay attention to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, 
When you look at these other sports, they also have a high travel demand mm -hmm. and a very long schedule. And what we hear, you know, quite a bit is when we start up first weekend in January, that's their downtime. Yeah. So January is their downtime as they are preparing for the start of their season. Um, but when we can get them out, they are certainly fans uh, for sure. And Jeff Gluck has been a great fan. Bob Pockrass with Fox Sports, great fan. Um, you know, Barrett Salee is a CBS anchor for college football. Uh, so we, we have a lot of people in the business that are huge fans. Uh, but, you know, again, you know, college football, the NFL, Major League Baseball, all of these sports are long. Mm -hmm. And there's not too many folks that are in the dual capacity mm -hmm. <laughs> of doing both. So that is another challenge that we certainly do face. Uh, there are several races, you know, now in our, in our calendar with Daytona, Atlanta, uh, Indy, uh, with Indianapolis Motor Speedway being there. Uh, that we're going to do, you know, crossover events for motorsports writers uh, and bringing them out and doing specific kind of uh, meet and greets with our athletes and things like that, um, all in an effort to, you know, really have them understand our sport a little bit more. There is an intimidation factor, though, and even somebody that has covered, you know, NASCAR and four wheel. Uh, that understands racing and they understand motorsports, um, but then they they see us and they see motorcycles and not understanding the format that they may have eighty percent of all of the other things, but are still a little intimidated uh, about reporting on Supercross because they don't know the intricacies. And if we can help and get them over that. From an educational standpoint, then that is a win for all of us. And once you have that happen, and they write this great, compelling content, and they share it through their channels, you're hoping that it catches new eyeballs and makes new fans. Maybe people that are fans of that particular journalist want to see what they're talking about. What is this thing that caught this guy's attention and makes them so interested in this now? And that's part of that bigger challenge that we all have right now on how to grow the sport. You and I talked before Anaheim won. You guys have hired an agency from New York City to help do that. Because we hear so often about why aren't why is Supercross not here? Or it was here at this point in time, but it's not here now. And to every point you've said, the media landscape has changed so much in the last 25 years. So as we go into 2023 right now, the 50th year of Supercross, but the first year of the Super Motocross World Championship, what are some of the initiatives you guys are trying to do to catch that bigger mainstream audience? It is, uh, well, there you just said it, DKC uh, News is one of the you know, strongest sports-based uh, national and really international PR agencies in the world. Uh, so everything that we're doing uh, as far as like investing back in this sport, I mean, this, the purse, the purse money, the $10 million purse, uh, the five-year deal with Peacock and NBC, uh, our Super Motocross video pass being available everywhere in the world. Uh, all of these are strategies designed on growing the sport and making it more accessible to more people. Mm -hmm. um, but DKC specifically, uh, you know, some of the individuals that, that are working on their account, you know, come from the NFL. They come from Major League Baseball. Uh, they are the agency of record for F1 here in the United States. So everybody, uh, you don't need to, uh, you know, 
F1's popularity <laughs> right mm -hmm. now has been the buzz probably for the last three years, right? Of every sport. Of every sport, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, that fans would find it pretty illuminating that we have hired the agency that is the agency for F1 here in America. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we, are, we will go to any lengths to grow this sport. At, at the core of everything that we do, it's about putting more and more eyeballs, but also new eyeballs on our sport. That's the only way that it's going to grow. Uh, but the landscape, I, as we keep talking, uh, everything keeps changing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not the same as it was 20 years ago. It's not the same as it was even 10 years ago. Um, the way that streaming and cable television have changed, even in the last five years, uh, is very sizable. So, yeah, they are uh, challenged right now, um, you know, with really finding out from some of these beat writers and or taking these, you know, somebody that traditionally writes on stick and ball sports or even four-wheel motorsports and turning them into beat writers uh, for consistent coverage in some other spaces. Uh, so we have some things in the hopper right now with uh, Sports Illustrated, which I think will be great and will be athlete focused. Um, you know, Sports Illustrated doesn't even cover the NHL. Mm -hmm. So think about that. Yeah. You know, here in the United States, you know, the big four that we're all up against all the time. So take motorsports out of the equation, sports, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, in the NBA, mm -hmm. no matter what sport or motorsport you're in, you're always competing against those four. And even an outlet like Sports Illustrated, which would you find that interesting that they don't cover the NHL? Yeah, because it's interesting to see not the, the fact that they don't cover the NHL is like really surprising, especially because like through the last 10 years, the NHL has boomed so much. And yes. See, people have seen how good it can be to be a fan of that. They've, they've mean made so many new fans because every team within the league was like, okay, we either need to lower ticket prices or do some kind of initiative to draw local people to come back to yep. the games. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's still the small one in the room compared to baseball, football, and, and basketball. Absolutely. Like, tiny compared to that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, they're, they're tasked with, you know, really helping us, uh, and, and not, it, it's not short term. Mm -hmm. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, so it is good. And again, the education factor with journalists, uh, we're fortunate. We're so fortunate to have individuals like you and Don and Chase and everybody on your team and the other outlets that cover it, uh, that started out, you know, riding motorcycles, um, and, you know, turned the interest into, you know, whether it's photography or writing or both or videography, uh, you know, there's a lot of, media in our sport that it's been very organic and, and growing and we have a very very healthy you know endemic media um but from the outside there is an intimidation factor there with our sport that is hard to get over if you've never been you know on a motorcycle yeah and everything that we try to do is highlight the athleticism of these athletes they are so special in what they do and when we can put it in their terms that they understand, 
you know, the strength of an NFL middle linebacker, uh, the conditioning of an elite soccer player. I mean, that's a very rare uh, type of athlete. So it's, it's putting it in ways that, you know, other sports writers can understand it and appreciate it without being intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, that's job number one. Um, and we've already this, you know, this year, uh, you know, Dan Beaver with NBC Sports, uh, you know, everything that he publishes uh, on NBC Sports side is also syndicated on MSN and Yahoo Sports. And when you're able to do things like that, the potential eyeballs that are reading those uh, articles are huge. And I would encourage anybody, read Dan Beaver. He is the most prolific sports writer in our sport right now. But it's very hard, you know, people are... You know, get in a habit like if they follow you and they, they follow just stay Swap off. Mode yeah. Live, they, you know, that's it. They mm-hmm. follow you. Uh, but there is a lot of great storytelling that we have already been doing this season. But not everybody consumes everything. Yeah. You know, um, but Dan Beaver is is fantastic. Uh, Awful announcing, which is uh, an outlet that specifically covers. Uh, sports broadcasting, right? And they talk about the Joe Bucks of the world and the Troy Aikmans and football. Uh, just did a big feature on Ricky Carmichael and Lee Diffie in our broadcast. So it's really about putting Supercross in all of these spaces where other sports are routinely covered. Mm-hmm. And that is job, you know, the, the biggest job that we are doing right now is, you know, is trying to identify those spaces and overcome, finding out what the challenges are, number one, but then figuring out ways to overcome them. Mm-hmm. You know, as we go back to the F1 point, because everybody pins it back to Drive to Survive coming out. I mean, I've been an F1 fan forever because I love all forms of racing, but until that series came on and the timing that they had, unfortunately, to have everybody locked at home to then watch it and see these things on YouTube or on Netflix. They're trying to recapture that lightning in a bottle now. There's going to be a Tour de France one. The tennis one just came out. There's a golf one coming. Everybody has kind of had this idea in the sports world. If we can just do another high-depth, intense documentary series to show all these things, that's what's going to take us to the next level. Right. We have so much content, and we have almost every team or every writer doing that stuff already. It's not a shortage of content that we have. It's more about how do we put it in the right places at the right time for people to— latch on to that. And that's been, I think, the next big challenge that we have through the next year is it's not that uh, we're incapable of it because even the people that are in the space right now, it's just how do you get it to the right place? And uh, to see even some of the projects that are going on behind the scenes right now, the Yamaha series that's getting filmed, the Husqvarna series, big ambitious efforts, and just seeing them get taken to the next level, it'll be interesting. Yes. It is not a new idea. Yeah. And I know that fans comment all the time, well, if we just did this, if we just did this, um, and just doing this isn't as simple as just doing this, if you will. Uh, So no, it's not a new idea, and it's something that we have been working on for a number of years. Uh, You probably remember, we used to do a series called Chasing the Dream. Yep. uh, That we did internally, and uh, it was very successful. Uh, and is 
completely along those same lines. So pre-pandemic, uh, we were already working on a partner for that type of a series. And then obviously, you know, with the pandemic that, you know, really kind of shut anything being up close and personal and that type of access that that type of uh, a project would require, you couldn't do it throughout yeah. the pandemic. So yes, we are working on that type of a series. Um, and there will be at some point, uh, but they are expensive. Mm -hmm. They are very expensive. Uh, people don't realize they think that, you know, just having a couple of videographers, you know, running around, but you know, when you focus on eight to 10, you know, upwards, maybe 12 different characters, which is, you know, if you, if you take the 250 and the, you know, the 450 class, how many characters and personalities we really have in this sport, mm -hmm. you need film crews in different places. Yes, Supercross and at the events is one thing, but the type of access and what, you know, Drive to Survive has done so well is traveling and being, you know, in those team meetings, being at home, hearing those conversations and being a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that does not happen overnight. And, you know, the, the challenge that anybody has doing that type of a series is it doesn't matter what sport you are going to be judged by drive to survive. Mm -hmm. So you cannot, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, you could have done something that was pretty good mm -hmm. <laughs> or good enough. Yeah. But you have now, you've got to come with something that is excellent because everything is going to be compared to drive to survive. Yeah. So I guess that is the good news is that yes, folks, we are working on that type of a series uh, but there are still a lot of things that need to fall in into place to make it a reality. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you look at some of the the stars of our sport, you know, and even asking for the type of access that that would demand. Uh, you know, there's a lot of considerations to take into place. So. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we will get there at some point, And I do believe that uh, that that will help to draw in, you know, some new fans for sure. Uh, but also you have to have the right buy-in. Just having a show on Netflix um, may not lead to the success that Drive to Survive had. Like Netflix has to be a believer in the project and they have to promote it and they have to market it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very important that you have the right production team that carries the amount of weight that can sell it into a Netflix or an Amazon or whatever the platform may be, but have enough cachet that it's not just about getting it played, but it can get it promoted mm -hmm. as well. So it's, it's not as simple as let's make it and put it out. Um, and, and it certainly isn't, you know, I love YouTube. But it's not all about just putting things for free on YouTube that have huge price tags to create them. Yeah, and that are going to really realistically get lost in the void because there is so much content that comes out there. I mean, yes. I think of the time and energy that we put into some things and I'm like, man, this is going to blow up. This is going to pop. It's going to go great. Three days later, it's already so far down the feed. Yep. And it's just kind of the nature of the beast right now because everybody's making so much and it's so instantaneous because yes. like we've said so many times today, like 
the rules have changed. The way people take in content, the way it's made is completely different than before. So even kind of going back to the beginning of the pandemic when you guys are getting the races going again and you're talking to these other sports leagues about how things are going, from what I've kind of heard, this has kicked the door open for a lot of better conversations between our sport and major league sports as well about not only how our events run, how is scheduling done, but just overall the organization of everything. How do you guys communicate with fans? What can we streamline better? Because we go to these same places too. How has, uh, from your perspective, these last maybe three to five years been in getting Supercross accepted and having these conversations within major broadcasts, major league sports? Because even within our group right now, there are some people that have come and joined your group that used to be at the NBA or the NHL. Yeah, so Ken Adelson uh, has spent, you know, his his career at the NBA uh, is now on our television broadcast team. Uh, so, you know, we we are never happy or satisfied with what we are doing. We are always looking and critiquing at ourselves and figuring out how to make things better. Uh, so, yeah, Ken Adelson uh, started with us a year ago, so this is his uh, second season with us, but to your point, you know, Dave Prater has always had very good relationships, you know, with NASCAR and some of the other sports, um, you know, and even Kenneth Feld, obviously, you know, his, uh, influence on live events, uh, in particular and in other areas, um, you know, there are a lot of different sports and leagues and live entertainment entities that, you know, look to him for, for guidance in particular uh, on things. Uh, our company was an innovator and a leader in, I mean, how many bands sat at home? There was nobody in the live music business that was figuring this out. It was Feld Entertainment that was figuring out how to tour effectively effectively and efficiently under all of the different um, challenges that the pandemic and COVID presented for all of us. Um, so those relationships and, you know, the bubble that became so synonymous mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, with every major league sport that all started with Supercross and, you know, NASCAR, some of those very early conversations that Dave was having, you know, with, um, you know, with folks at, at NASCAR and IndyCar, you know, the, the idea was starting to percolate. Uh, like, you know, if we could contain it and, and put people in, in bubbles and things like that. Um, but it was us that, that really perfected it, you know. So the Salt Lake set City 7 mm -hmm. uh, and going back to that time, which seems like so long ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was, you know, we were the very first sport to finish our series and finish our championship. Uh, and then NASCAR, you know, came on the heels right of that. And by the time we got to the fall with, with the NFL and Major League Baseball, everybody knew what a bubble was, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so to your point, yes, there are a lot of other sports uh, that now, you know, have uh, – Really good and consistent dialogue, whether that is, you know, with uh, with Dave Prater, uh, vice president of Supercross or Kenneth Feld, uh, our CEO and, and chairman of Feld Entertainment. So and then even our partner, you know, in NBC and, and Peacock, you know, their tentacles run way, way deep and long. 
Uh, so we have some great partners in NBC that uh, are some very smart people and have been doing this for a very long time as well. And we share information. And I would say that that is probably the best thing uh, if there was that came out of the pandemic. Not only our transparency and communication with the teams in the industry and something that I've always done with, with you yeah, yeah. in the media. I've been transparent with, with everything uh, with the media since I started in this role. Uh, but we're, we, have, we have weekly you know, OEM meetings, weekly team manager meetings where it's about sharing information um, and it's not making any decisions in a silo. And we have that um, all the way, you know, with our television partners as well. So, you know, the biggest thing is, is just the sharing of information, the transparency, and really the ongoing consistent communication with all of our partners and all of the key stakeholders as well. So to hone in on all of that stuff, to sharpen the tools, to get everything ready to go, that's big effort in one way. Once you guys start figuring all that out, then you want to add a whole other layer of complexity onto it by starting this super championship, <laughs> you know, joining up with MX Forge, which is, which is great. You know, even I can think back to being in Tampa in 2020 when you guys had us at the Feld headquarters and we initially had that round table conversation and the conversations that Davey Coombs and Dave Prater were having, I'm like, oh, this is good. I, I like where this is going. I hope something more comes from that. And then to know like, hey, two weeks later, a little bit more was happening and this and this and this. And then to get where we were last October for the series to be announced. How is it for you to not only help be the person that portrays this whole season out to everyone, but then also explaining to everyone, yeah, it's kind of the same things that it's always been, but it's also something completely different now, like answering those misconceptions. Yeah, it is going to be completely different. Mm -hmm. This is so new for our sport, and, and I get it. Uh, but when we get to September and the storylines that we're going to have and realize that racing is not done, mm -hmm. right? Or let's even go back even a little further. You know, uh, Eli Tomac is off to a fantastic start. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, he could certainly go on a very dominant run this season. And in years past, when the championship, when the Supercross championship was wrapped up early, uh, it's easy to dip out from mm -hmm. an interest level. And we understand that. Um, but that's not going to be the case anymore because that story continues um, not only into the outdoors, but then, you know, everybody, the way that they're going to be reseeded into the playoffs and then have something else to fight for, you know, Austin Forkner is, uh, you know, it, it, it's a shame what mm -hmm. happened to Austin and my heart goes out to him uh, for sure. But right now, Austin Forkner, his year is not done. Yeah. His year is not done. And every other sport has that. You know, if you are a J.J. Watt fan... Uh, JJ is a special talent, his brother, TJ, special talent. Um, and if, you know, you follow other sports, the first thing, I mean, an injured player on the field, they're not even off the field yet. And yet fans are already asking, Oh boy, are they going to be back? JJ going to be back in time to help us in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is in every other sport, but we've never had that. Yeah. And that is going to be until we go through it. 
it's going to be hard for fans to completely understand how neat this is going to be. Mm -hmm. But the storytelling that we now have over a 10-month period and really a 12-month period because right after the championship is wrapped up, we go right into free agency period mm -hmm. and the re-signing and the re-gearing up and boot camp starts and bam, it's January again and here we go racing. So I think that once we have a year under our belt, you know, everybody, the, the impact of what we are trying to do here, I think will be real at that point. And people will finally, you know, get the aha moment as to, okay, this is very unique and very special. Um, this is not something that we are building for this year or even next year. This is something that we are building for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Um, Nothing that Feld Entertainment, Feld Motorsports, uh, and even the Coombs family who have been in, you know, the promotion business for 50 years, uh, the, you know, when you own a family business that long and a successful family business, you, everything is about vision and future. You don't mm -hmm. make any decisions that are short term uh, in effect, mm -hmm. right? So... I think it's going to be amazing, but I certainly do understand, uh, you know, until we go through it and understand what it's going to look like, uh, it's hard to visualize yeah, yeah. right now. But I think that this is going to be an exciting year. And when we get to the championships and people see the types of tracks that we're going to build, as well as the experience and really incorporating the fan experience at both where if you'd love to come and sit in a suite and have hot food ready and available and a great view of everything, we'll be able to have that. If you love coming to Pro Motocross and lining the fence and having you know, a Jet Lawrence sign, we'll be able to do that okay, as cool. well. So that is part of the design here, is really truly bringing the best aspects of both sports together. Um, we have always thought, you know, we're in one sport with really two disciplines. There's indoor stadium racing, and then there's outdoor uh, racing on natural terrain. It's the same sport, two different disciplines. So I think that, you know, where we are now, uh, it, it's, it's been needed for a very long time. And we were nudging our way towards this, mm -hmm. but obviously the pandemic really... Um, you know, was the major driver in in making it in accelerating the process, if you will. So to go back even a point to the communication that you guys have with other sporting leagues feeds right into today's announcement that the couple dates are going to get moved. The whole series is going to run back to back to back weekend, same track, same everything right now, but just to be condensed because of the Pac-12 football conference, you guys needing to adjust some things. How does that go? Uh, how does it make that communication to understand we have to do this? How is it for you to have to send that press release off? But then also knowing like these are the parameters that we're working in and we got to get this all out there. There are a lot of layers to this. Yeah, I will say there and, and everything affects everything else. Right. Mm -hmm. So USC and, and even UCLA, you know, both announced recently, there's been a huge shift in college football mm -hmm. and in the different conferences that's been happening for the last year. Uh, college football is going through 
uh, you know, the playoff scenario. So there's a lot of change in college football right now. Uh, so big schools are shifting conferences, and that is what happened with, with USC. Uh, their home field is the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have one more year of being part of the Pac-12, and then they go to the Big Ten starting in 2024. So last Thursday, the Pac-12 announced the Pac-12 schedule, which included USC for 2023, and there was a change in that schedule that wasn't uh, part of the schedule when we were planning Okay. Okay. <laughs> October 14th. And the big thing is, uh, so yeah, their home game schedule changed, and it wouldn't... Uh, the new schedule wouldn't allow enough time for us to have adequate time to get into the stadium, build the track that we need to build, but then also everything on the back end uh, on removing all of the dirt and getting the stadium prime again with the field uh, in time. So it just didn't allow enough time. And that is really what, you know, forced our hand in, in moving the date up. Uh, So now all you know, the two playoffs and the world championship final are all going to be subsequent weekends. Uh, so September 9th, September 16th, and September 23rd, uh, which overall is the way it'll be laid out in future years as well, because our ultimate goal uh, is to have the championship wrapped up before October. Okay. Uh, so I think this will be easier on the athletes, easier on the teams from a contract standpoint which I think will be great. Um, but that is the reason. And who would have thought, uh, you know, for all of our diehard, you know, Moto fans, what do you mean? Why did, how does college football affect Supercross? But it does because of these, you know, high-profile venues that we are in. And as things shift and things change, uh, you know, venues – uh, that's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. It's not as easy as everybody thinks that it is. Especially right now. Like this is Mike Muey explained the same thing last week on our other podcast. As he told us, this is why we have to go to Oakland between these two races and not these, because we have to have everything out of there. So the A's can lay the field out and have the turf ready to go for when they start major league baseball. So to see all of that stuff, yeah, there's a lot of pieces in play. Uh, even a couple months ago, I had a conversation with the guys at World Supercross to hear about that. And they're all going through the same thing. Demand for large-scale venues is at an all-time high. Yes. And you guys are just another factor that has to get worked into this because it's it's impressive. You know, there's even a video on YouTube right now of uh, Vivint Stadium in Utah, them taking the whole thing down from a jazz game and then turning it into a Monster Jam event in yep. like two days. You yep. guys have to work within those parameters right now. And as everybody's trying to go make that money in the live event space, because there's so many people that want it, we get led to this. But again, for all the effort that you guys have put in over these last five years, it's much more synchronized than it ever was, I feel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the biggest thing is just it is not uh, it is not easy. And being in the live event business, there are it's all about change and it is all about solving problems and, you know, working with your venue partners and figuring things out. Um, but yeah, when you are at venues like the Los Angeles Coliseum or AT&T stadium, uh, you know, there's a reason why there's so much demand for these stadiums. And, 
it, it's, you have to flow with it. Sometimes there are a lot of things that are out of our control and USC changing conferences is mm -hmm. certainly <laughs> something that is completely out of our control. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. And that's a lot, <laughs> you know, I read a ton of stuff about just the broadcasting thing to the way sports leagues are changing, the name and image likeness stuff that's happening within yep. even all levels of college football right now and how these kids are getting paid and what it's going to do for them. You know, we are in this wild time to see so much go on. And, you know, there are a lot of people that are going to inject their own thought into this and it's going this way because of this, but it's just like, it's not just us that are feeling this squeeze. It's everywhere is feeling it. And it's just, yes. how do we manage it the best way right now? Yes. Yes. No, I think it's great. I think we're in a great spot. We're still going to be, you know, the biggest thing would have been if we lost the date at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Uh, that is where everything began, and that is so important to this first inaugural year of Super Motocross in the World Championship. Uh, so for us to still be able to, you know, bookend and that event be where it all began uh, I think is the biggest thing. I think that the teams, again, and the athletes will be fine with uh, the date moving up mm -hmm. because I think what we heard, the most feedback was it going into October and two weeks into October, uh, which was never our intent from the get-go. Uh, but again, even that October 14th date was because of scheduling yeah. at the Coliseum. So, yeah, I think that I think this is going to be a good change. Uh, but again, you know, uh, there are a lot of layers to all of this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as we wind this down, let's just talk about, you know, life on the road to do these things. As we kind of started the podcast out with, you've done the travel thing for so long, you know, to be part of the music scene that you were in and to go from like, you know, probably small dingy clubs to these arenas that are full, uh, to have to go take bands. Like you had, uh, Charlie Daniels that you would take to like Steelers games to see all of that stuff and, and to know that. After a lifetime spent on the road, how is it to still wake up in some weird hotel on like Friday morning? Like, oh my God, where am I at? And all these things. Cause there's even times that I'll wake up and I'm like, oh, oh my God, what city is it? Did I miss this? Like, did the yes. alarm go off? Oh my God, I missed the race. Does it ever get easier? Or do you I still feel it. like you're missing it? I love it. Okay. I absolutely love it. Uh, I do miss my family, you know, quite a bit. Uh, and so that, that is a part of it that, that never gets easy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but the travel, I love. I love. I've always been the the, the kind that enjoyed. I, I never want um, every day to be duplicated. Mm -hmm. And in in my role, and especially with travel, every day is different. Every day is different. Um, you know, sometimes that leads to pretty stressful days. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, you know, it's pretty enjoyable. Uh, you know, travel that, you know, we'll get about halfway through the season and I'll go to put, you know, the hotel room key in the door and realize, nah, this number that was last yep, week. Yep, yep. And I'm sure you've done that mm -hmm. as well. Yep. Um, but the, the, the travel on one hand, I mean, it, it's great. I love waking up in new cities. I love exploring new cities. Uh, you know, sometimes with our demanding schedule, all we end up seeing is the hotel and the venue, and that's really it. But uh, when we can get out and explore a little bit and do some things, that makes it really, really special. Um, but no, I, I love I love traveling. Uh, I love what I do. I love this sport. 
Uh, I love the people that are in it and that we work, we interact with every day. Uh, the number of people that I interact with on a daily basis is absolutely incredible. Um, so there are so many parts of it that, yes, I absolutely love. And, you know, the trick is that you are away from your loved ones mm -hmm. for, you know, long periods. So you really have to find, you know, ways to connect and stay connected. And then when we are not on the road, make sure that you are, you know, doing everything you can to be plugged in and connected uh, to the ones that are most important. Mm -hmm. 13 years into this for me and I'm still like, oh, I just added a new layer of it to it this year. Like I got to figure that stuff out better. But even after I came home, after all those international races, I'm like, I have this much time to squeeze in before I'm gone for this much. So yep. make the most of it. Is there a uh, favorite city for you to go to, a favorite venue, even a favorite airport that you're like, okay, I want to have my layover through there? I would say favorite airport, Phoenix. Uh, only in the sense that you never really get stuck there. Yeah. Weather's always good. <laughs> Weather is always good in Phoenix. So I always try to book through Phoenix. Uh, and if, um, you know, anywhere on the West coast, if there was an issue, can rent a car and pretty much get to wherever mm -hmm. we needed to get to, um, favorite city, I would have to say Seattle. And I think coming from Tampa, you know, that's, probably the farthest point yeah. that we get to go to. Uh, so being able to go to Seattle every year is really special. Uh, and, you know, we have some great media partners up there that we end up always doing something unique, uh, something different. Um, there's a great PR friend that I have up there that has put together Justin Hill concerts to a yacht trip last mm -hmm. year. And, you know, a look at the city uh, aboard a yacht. So, we always end up doing something unique in, in Seattle. Uh, so I think that that one in particular is always, I'm, all, I'm always found fond of that one. Uh, but Tampa as well, I would say, you know, that is our home race. Uh, so, you know, I still don't get to sleep in my bed because it's easier just to stay in the rhythm okay. of everything. It's funny you said that. So we went to breakfast on Saturday, like me, Alex... Don, Chase, and then Kenny Bell. And all five of us are sitting there and we're like, you know, it just doesn't feel like a Supercross Saturday because we woke up in our own bed. Like you need to wake up in a hotel to feel like, okay, I'm on the road. We're ready to go now. <laughs> you have to stay in the rhythm. Yeah. If not, you'll get distracted and just even getting out of that rhythm a little bit, mm -hmm. it really does affect you. Um, but in my role, you know, every, every morning is early. So I'm, you know, usually starting at 5 a.m. just about every day. So when you can minimize the commute, <laughs> yeah. no matter where you are, and just make, you know, it more efficient, but really staying in that rhythm is really the, the, the key. But I would say on behalf of all of us at Felt Entertainment, uh, being part of the Tampa community and being able to bring our race to Tampa um, because everybody, you know, everybody that works at Feld Motorsports, we're all in the community. Mm -hmm. And so all of our neighbors, all of our friends, all of our, you know, folks that we interact with, you know, from doctors and dentists, oh, what do you do? Oh, well, when's that going to be here? We finally are able to show them mm -hmm. this is what we do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, case in point, I went to my local bike store. Uh, I had a couple flat tires, so I <laughs> took my bike in, uh, and the owner, and I, I was actually wearing this, 
And so new mechanics are working there and they see this. I'm wearing a hat. They're like, oh, are you into Supercross and this and that? So I told them what I did and they, they were just blown away. They're like, wow, it's mm -hmm. here this year. Mm -hmm. So I comped them all tickets and now they're all coming That's cool. and able to see what we do, you know, traveling the country. So being able to do things like that in our home market and, you know, after Supercross this summer, you know, when I, I'm going back up to Oliver's. It's a good plug. Yeah. It's good, good plug. plug. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> you know, they'll actually, you know, our fans, uh, and my goodness, you know, close to me, Jet, Jet and Hunter live right up the street. They probably shop at this bike store. Mm -hmm. So being able to connect all of those dots with everybody in our community, I think is very, very special. Mm -hmm. I, I can understand that. The first couple years that I was like, finding my footing in the industry, like getting in with Don at Transworld and all of that. But then even after I moved here and then would go home for the St. Louis Supercross and I would see all those friends that I grew up with and see them at the races and they'd be like, oh, what do you do here? How does this go? And then they get to see me and my element there. It's totally cool because I get, I feel that sense of pride of like, you guys get to see what I've made my life so yes. much. And it, that's like honestly one of the best parts to it. So then what is it typically like a four or five day work week? Like do you fly out Wednesday or Thursday? I travel on Wednesday. Okay. Yes. What day of that five day period is your favorite time? Like I think as exciting as Saturday is for me, like to get there to the stadium super early and to have all that time is fun. I really enjoy Friday though. I like getting up at my house, making coffee one last time, telling my wife and the baby bye and then pinning it to the airport and then going through the routine to lay out my day on the plane. But then getting to the stadium on Friday to see everybody before things get too intense, you know, tech and bikes one more time doing media day getting to talk with everyone. That one's fun. And that's the one time if I'm out on the town, I can go find a new restaurant to go have a good meal at. Cause yep. Saturday's a zoo. Like yes. I'm lucky if I get takeout on the way home. Oh yeah. So is there a day for you that you're like of that five day window, this is the best day. Friday, early morning. Okay. Watching the sun come up and having 10, 11 athletes on the track and hearing those bikes uh, you know, driving into the stadium, you know, in your middle of the state of the city and the stadium lights are on just for us. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason all of those lights are on and watching the sun come up as we're, you know, creating morning television and just seeing that. Uh, and, you know, most of the athletes uh, that help out with our early morning stuff, I mean, they're just as excited to be there and be a part of it. Uh, that makes those mornings very, very special. Um, but that is Fridays are really the fruit of all of our media efforts, you know, starting from the early morning with everything that we're doing, you know, with local market, uh, television, and then to our actual media day, you know, that of course, you know, incorporates all of our, uh, factory riders and giving them the opportunity for the first, you know, the first ride on the track and some of those things. But the very special moment would be that five o'clock hour uh, into six when the sun is coming up and you already have dirt bikes out on the track. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty special time. Hey, I have to tell you, uh, it's been really cool to see Media Day take off the way it has these last few years. Like when we were at Transworld, there were a couple races that I would fly to on purpose on like Thursday night because I wanted to go to the city. I think Toronto was one of them. A, it took forever to get there from here. But if I could even get an extra 12 hours there at, just to do something else, I wanted to do it. 
And so then you guys always had the local media there, but it didn't seem like the core Moto media showed up on Friday at the stadium yet. You guys have done a really good job to incentivize us to come. Like I would come because I wanted to see it. And then it seemed like little by little more other media guys started coming. How important has it been to make Friday the day like that now? Extremely important. Uh, not only for all of you, but our media day in the afternoon is specifically designed for local market and national sports broadcasters. Okay. So the early morning stuff, typically what we're doing is breaking news, pop mainstream type stories, things like, like that. Yeah. But if you are a sportscaster in a local market, you're not up early because most games that you are covering are in the evenings. Mm -hmm. So you're wrapping up at 11 o'clock. So you're not getting up early. So one o'clock in the afternoon is an ideal time for a sports market or a sports broadcaster, whether you're on TV or you're a sports writer. And that's where we want the, the stars of our sport to be there, right? We want the, the Eli Tomax and the Jet Lawrences. Uh, and then, of course, any local athletes that grew up in a specific market, um, you know, all news is local. So if we have local athletes, that's very much part of the design. Uh, and I reach out to all the athletes. I'm always looking for those unique stories always looking for anybody that was born and bred in a certain market mm -hmm. um, because all of that helps to attract media to come and report on it. Um, but even for, you know, what you just mentioned, you have to have the stars of the sport to make the travel investment that you guys are putting into this sport. Mm -hmm. uh, it's expensive to travel. So if you don't have the stars of the sport there, then you're not going to to make that investment. Mm -hmm. um, so no, the media days have become uh, very strategic as well, uh, and you know the teams are great partners in that. There's a certain amount that each factory team you know chooses mm -hmm. each year uh, from the 250 teams to the 450 teams. So even that is all very calculated, um, but that has been a big big part of our of our overall media strategy. Uh, and to your point, they are so well attended, not only from, again, all of our endemic media partners, um, but even from a local standpoint and even a national standpoint, depending on the market, uh, we have a lot of national writers, you know, coming to that as well. Mm -hmm. I can think of uh, the year that Davey was on Kawasaki. I went, I went from Detroit to St. Louis in the Cowie rig. I remember I was with Big B and the team the whole week. And I mean, this was five, six years ago by now. And, and to think that like, well, Hey, part of the thing for that trip was like, yeah, it got me an extra week at home, but then you got to go to the stadium early on Friday. And to see that, I remember being like one of the only guys from our group that was there from core media. And I was like, man, this is like bonus time. I get all these extra photos. I get all this extra time. And then yeah. now everybody does it. It's almost as competitive amongst the media people now as it is the teams looking for 15 extra minutes of track time. Yes. No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely yeah. it's right. It's so funny. It's so funny to see it go that way. You're now. absolutely right. And, and the, the constant, um, you know, folks that want to be a part of it, uh, from a writing standpoint, but I always remind everybody that, you know, it's about the media. It's about doing interviews, even the early morning stuff, uh, I know that 
you know, everybody just hears bikes, mm -hmm. you know, and they hear riding and, oh, there's riding, there's, that's practice, uh, but it's not practice. Mm -hmm. It is all about doing media and being available for media, being able to sell the sport, sell your team, sell your sponsor, be able to talk to uh, the overall series, you know, do good interviews. Uh, but yeah, media day Fridays, Fridays, my day, yeah. uh, which is fantastic on uh, something that we've been really building, uh, for the last several years. Um, it's been so challenging the start of this season with the rain that we had at the Anaheim opener, uh, then postponing Oakland. And then the challenges that we just had. Yeah. It's Snapdragon Stadium. So going into Anaheim this week, it's still looking very sunny and the weather should be fine. We should have an excellent media day this week in Anaheim. Uh, and then, of course, you know, anytime that we're in a dome stadium, uh, it makes it, you know, much easier. But I appreciate you saying that because there is everything that we do is strategic. Mm -hmm. And that has been something that we have been building and that we have been growing uh, the last several years, we used to have media days on Thursdays. I do remember that. Yeah. And that was always a struggle to get the stars of our sport to come, uh, because now you're having to travel on a Wednesday. So really your training for the week is shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, now doing it on Friday, that's a typical travel day, uh, for, for just about everybody. Uh, it cuts down on costs for the teams and flying in mechanics and extra personnel and the truck drivers and all of that stuff. So the reason we do it on Friday is several reasons. One, making it easier on the stars of our sport, making it more logistical and you know economically feasible for the teams uh, on Fridays. Uh, and then typically we're still doing we still do a ton on Thursdays as well. Uh, and that's what I like to call our in-studio day. Uh, but as I mentioned, with all news being local, we typically identify a local athlete that is born and bred in a city, and we'll still do a media tour on Thursday, going around to different radio stations, going in-studio with TV, uh, doing a desk side with the local newspaper. So mm -hmm. we do still do a lot on Thursday. But we really are trying to identify local athletes and showcasing them from a local standpoint. Uh, <clears throat> you know, this week, uh, Richard Taylor, uh, are, are you familiar with his background oh, yeah. in stunts? Oh, yeah. RT? We Grew up in, in Los Angeles, has such a great story with his extracurricular career. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know that anybody has really told that outside of us. So we have him busy with three and four different LA-based stations mm -hmm. this week. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, but from that standpoint, you know, being able to feature a local athlete that is part of the community in each city that we go to has been, again, a very strategic thing. Uh, but again, with shifting media with all news being local. I mean, if you've seen in most markets, uh, the high school sports get more coverage than the NBA in some cases. Yeah. And that's the same with us. So, you know, if we have a local athlete that we can shine, 
uh, a light on in a local market. And you think about Los Angeles with Richard Taylor, LA is one of the biggest media markets in the world. Yeah. So he is very fortunate. We're very fortunate to have him, number one, with his unique story. Uh, but that, again, is something very, from a strategy standpoint, that we're trying to do in every race market that we go mm -hmm. to. Second generation second generation racer too. Yes. Right? Oh yeah. Because big RT rich has told me so many stories and like I could sit all day and listen to rich tell me stunt stuff. Yeah. It's nuts. And to, to see little Richard get into that now too is cool. It is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. He was telling us some stories, uh, on Friday. Um, and just some of the behind the scenes stuff, which I'll let, let him tell, but just, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. It's wild. The fat, like the whole fast house gear brand. I mean, so many people that are in that will go to Dan the dirt and I'll be like, Oh, this guy does this. And you'll see just IMDB credits like yes. on the starting line. It's hilarious. Okay. So last thing that I want to talk to you about, and we'll wrap it up with this. Like two months ago, three months ago, I text you something. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm packing my stuff again. And I like tour clothes. Like, I think you remember that text message. There's a uniform, like you guys want us to have dark jeans, black pants, preferably, uh, black shirt, preferably all these things. And it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to wear. But I always thought about when I would go see these bands at these like sweaty little nightclubs and you know, they'd be living in vans, but everybody wore the same tour clothes night after night after night. So when I was thinking about that, I was like, well, Sean's going to get this because of all the media stuff that he did for all these bands. So can you give me one good closing story about that era of running these rock and roll musicians around back in the day? <laughs> Dark. <laughs> you always need to blend in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's all about dark clothes. And it's funny because that really is uh, our wardrobe, uh, you know, for, for Supercross as well. Uh, because you don't want anybody that's on the floor, uh, you know, in a media role, photographers, even flaggers, you'll notice that everything is, is, is dark because you don't want them to stand out. Mm -hmm. You want the racing and the athletes to stand out, not a photographer or somebody else wearing something bright or, mm -hmm. you know, some huge logo or whatever. Uh, but no, uh, you know, the rock and roll wardrobe is certainly... <laughs> Lots of t-shirts and jeans, comfortable shoes, but they're all dark. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have, it may look like you're wearing the same thing, but that's the key is that you have plenty of the t-shirts and mm -hmm. plenty of the jeans, uh, but they're easy and you don't have to think about it. I think that's the biggest thing yeah, yeah. is you do not have to think about it. Um, but really blending in, you know, if you're a sound man or a light man or a guitar tech, you never, ever want to upstage a musician. So your clothes had to blend in. They mm -hmm. had to be dark. And, you know, you really learned how to maneuver the stage without really ever being seen. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> that's good. I like that. Yeah, I, uh, I, even when I was putting together my stuff for this year, it's like one color palette. It's all just neutrals, it's dark all the way through. I'm like, okay, hey, I can put five t-shirts in a bag this weekend and it could be five ones from last week. I don't even know, but they're all about the same. Yeah. We're good to go. And like... That takes a lot of that stressing on Thursday night, like, oh, God, is this clean? Is this packed? Is this ready? No, I have 15 of the same thing right here, so I can just throw those in and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And another a trick that I've learned, uh, you know, and Doug Cabrera, uh, who's our TV producer, you know, mentioned this years ago, is as soon as you get home, unload your suitcase, mm -hmm. throw it all in the washer as soon as you get home, no mm -hmm. matter how tired you are, wash it dry it, put
put it back in the bag mm-hmm. as soon as you're you can and boom it's ready mm-hmm. it is it is ready and that uh i've really leaned into that <laughs> i should do that but then there will still be those times where like if i have a six o'clock flight uh, I'll fall asleep at like 11 on Thursday night and then wake up at one o'clock in the morning on Friday. I'm like, Oh God, I didn't do this. And then I have to pack the whole suitcase without making any noise to wake up the rest of the house. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. It's, it's tricky. Yeah. So one day we'll get there. We'll get it figured out. Hey, yep. thanks for coming by Sean. This is great. Uh, I have so much fun talking to you every weekend. I really appreciate the time that we get. And, uh, even for this one, just to peel back a layer. And so people that are listening understand there is a rhyme and reason to everything that everybody is doing on a Saturday, on a Friday, on a Thursday. It's coordinated chaos in a way. And uh, yep. as long as everybody does their job the right way, it's not chaos. It just is a seamless thing that is just nonstop. Yes, yes. Yeah. Again, thank you. I love chatting with you. Thank you very and much, Sean. I appreciate so it. So good being here. The inaugural podcast uh, here on Swap Motor Live. So thank you for having me. Of course, it'll only get better. And thank you to you guys for tuning into this episode of the Midweek Podcast presented by Yoshimira. We'll have plenty more to come, so be sure to subscribe to our channels, follow along on social media, and visit SwapMotoLive.com. Mm-hmm.